Hi, I'm James. And I'm Drew. And welcome to Graphic Support Group, a mindful podcast for the design industry and the self, where empathy and the creative cloud meet. Join us as we delve into the mind and soul of graphic design, from PSDs to PTSD. This is Graphic Support Group. back with another exciting episode of graphic support group i'm james i'm drew and uh today we're here with kati trehan uh kati is an indian graphic designer i'm going to awkwardly read the bio from your website to you (laughs) i was like ready to respond to it oh you didn't have to say all those nice things about me but i guess you're just like reading off wait it's fine yeah Kati is an Indian graphic designer and 3D visual artist based in New York. Uh, Kati's work is textural, playful, and emotive, though her love for the sciences has a tendency to sneak in. So Kati's career has seen her work across disciplines, drawing inspiration from the context of the work and often exploring the edges of all things visual for the likes of the Oscars, New York Times, Apple, Google, and Instagram. She currently works at the Google Creative Lab in NYC, and she was previously uh, a senior communication designer at IDEO Munich. Um, there's a whole lot of other accolades here, inc- including the ADC Young Guns 19, uh, Forbes 30 Under 30 India. I could I could read them all. Print Magazine's 15 New Visual Artists Under 30 in 2017. Um, we also just have been really enthralled with the work on your Instagram lately and like some of the, th- the experiments you've been posting, and that's kind of how I discovered you. Um, so I think to add to all this more formal stuff, like the work that Kati posts regularly is pretty mind bending and like really exceptional use of AI tools to create like really beautiful and like jarring visuals. So, uh, that's kind of where my, uh, first hearing about you came from. So. I'm really excited to dig into a lot of that stuff too. So we were kind of curious just like how you kind of came to design, like how you were exposed to design in India and then how you came to work abroad and in New York now. Yeah, I I was not, like I don't have this story of, oh, I was a child who used to love to draw <laughs> and love design and found this passion. I honestly, like there was another friend who was applying for it design school and I was like okay maybe I'll apply too but I look back at it and I feel like if I decided to do like economics or something I would have been equally excited Um, but now in retrospect I feel like design is a good career for someone who gets bored very easily because one moment I might be like making album art for my sister so like working for a musician and then the second minute I might be doing an editorial illustration about bioelectricity so I feel like I'm never the same or or I feel like I don't have the same career every project that I do so I I quite like like what I'm doing now Um, yeah and And, yeah. yeah how did you sort of end up from going from India to was it Munich first um I so I went to San Jose first um, okay. Yeah, I did my like 
so at the end of college you're supposed to do um like a thesis project essentially mm-hmm. and that can be something you decide to do yourself it's supposed to be like four months to six months but that's usually the time someone or, or like most companies give an internship for that length um and then i yes i i'd actually done this project called the beauty of scientific diagrams it's mm. it, it was like my in my third year of college so still a student and it just kind of spread like wildfire and the person um who was like leading a team it was an innovation lab inside the samsung research america uh, okay. company so literally sent me a message saying do you want to join or like do an internship and i was like yeah actually i have to do my thesis project maybe i do it here so that was my first experience out of the country but then i came back okay there's a lot of like back and forth in terms of like like i I never get to attach to a couch or furniture (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, you live in new york now right yeah yeah but you were in new delhi for a while right also yeah so if i had to give the full like list it was san jose so it was ahmedabad then san jose then new delhi uh then berlin then munich and now in new, new delhi york. again and then goa and then new york ah cool cool so how long have you been in new york now uh a year actually like oh wow pretty recent yeah yeah fairly recent one of the things that we were really attracted to your bio and your work was um, that you 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 have an equal amount of output for other people and yourself. And I think you've stated elsewhere that like when you work for other people, um, you work, when you do work for other people, you're working for other people. And when you do work for yourself, you're creating for yourself. And I think that it kind of resonates with me because I think Drew and I both met at grad school at RISD, and I think the first semester I was there, the biggest thing that I struggled with was I hadn't been making work for myself, and then suddenly that's all I was supposed to do. So I had a hard time sort of finding the motivation and the energy. And so I'm curious how you seem to do that sort of seamlessly, Um, like where the energy comes from, like what does that work for yourself serve you and does that sort of bleed into your professional work in other environments yeah i mean i i used to call this differentiation like art and design right out of college but now that i fully understand what i've been doing it's more like r&d in design Mm. um so a lot of projects um don't have the time or the scope for you to like experiment and figure out what you want to do. Sometimes you already have to make decisions very quickly. And so it helps to take that time outside of projects to do a lot of explorations because almost every time, like I can never draw a clear line between my personal work and design work. Cause if I've done um, like I've been doing a lot of AI experiments because I work at Google now and we do a lot <laughs> of AI stuff. But had I not been doing that, I'm not sure, it, um, you know, I would have been messing around. And the exploration that I've been doing outside of it, um, I think I would be called a creator in today's social social media terms. But mm-hmm. But that always, like whatever insights I have from being an individual that practices 
art always always feed into my design work. So it's kind of like a opportunity to extend ideas that may come from work and yeah. then vice versa too, right? Like you may be working on something in your personal work that you can bring to your uh, like your your sort of quote unquote corporate job. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the sort of mentality and like it sounds like it's sort of a research mentality, but I'm I think like I'm just imagining the schedule. Like you work at Google nine to five, mm-hmm. and then you come home, maybe eat something, and then like jump in back into the computer in your in your personal work. But for some reason, that kind of reminded me of the novelist Hanya Yani Gihara, who wrote A Little Life. Um, and she's like a she's an editor in chief at T Magazine in, at the New York Times, and she sort of describes this sort of um, switch that she does. Like bef- in her day job, she's sort of directing people and stating her opinion, and then when she writes her novel, she's like very hyper focused on just doing something for herself. So I'm curious, like, what are your sort of motivations and like what attitude you take when? you're doing your personal work and how that transition from the office to the home sort of works for you. Yeah. If I'm okay, I'll be, if I'm completely honest, I think it's, it's also cause I don't have hobbies. Like <laughs> <laughs> if I played the drums or which I'm trying to do now, or if I like my husband has so many hobbies and, He's always like playing a video game or watching basketball or like playing guitar or drums or something. So I I don't have something else to occupy my time. <laughs> and I've I've been told that that's not how I should be using my free time. It's like unhealthy to work outside of work. But I I feel like I'm being told that that's that it's unhealthy. I don't feel mm-hmm. unhealthy at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, nice, so that's nice. actually where I was, because I was super interested in that in terms of like this romance, like the way that you present the work is very like positive, optimistic, like, oh, I just was working on this and this is what happened. Do you always feel like it is that way or is it sometimes really frustrating and like you do go into these like, is it a romanticized version of, like, being constantly working? Or do you sometimes feel like you are, like, actually just not working when you're working and it just feels fun? Like, what is the balance of that? I feel both ways about it. Uh, I I do it because it's fun. It's a way for me to chill out. Like, I cannot, uh, I never sit on the desk and make the, the personal work that I make. Mm. Um it's always on the couch and I need to be like slouching and have bad posture. <laughs> and it really feels like I'm chilling and I have a snack mm. next to me. Mm. I have two computers, one's a work one, one's like a personal one. So there's like the office playing or some like crappy reality show. <laughs> so that's literally me unwinding after, after work. Mm, um, but I also recognize that I have this, um, this like obsession with productivity because I'd been doing it for so long that when I didn't do it, I was like, I'm, I'm not producing anything. Mm. It feels weird to not be sharing. I'm, it's not even a social media thing, to be honest. Like even, mm. even having like that one extra export or like that MP4 <laughs> folder, like 
there hasn't been an export in a long time from my 3D mm-hmm. software and that makes me feel uneasy and I'm trying to figure that out like mm-hmm. yeah. that I realize is unhealthy like mm-hmm. it's not the working in my free time it's the intent behind why I'm working mm-hmm. in my free yeah. time well, I also ask yeah. that because like I'm sort of jealous of people who <laughs> seem to be able to work constantly and don't feel like anxious about it like I yeah. when I think of myself I want to be the type of person who it's like, oh, I got home and then I just like recorded some music. And then <laughs> after that, I made some crazy AI motion piece and just posted it on my Instagram. And then I love everything. And I woke up the next day feeling great. And I, But like my reality is that like I hit walls constantly and I also get like trapped in my own. Like I get caught in like cycles of just like tinkering and tinkering, specific, mm. specifically when it comes to like AI and stuff. Like I've been using the <clears throat> journey a bit and it's like such a trap. Like you can't get out after a while. Like, <laughs> and then it's yeah. like, what happened to like the last three hours? Like I hate that feeling, but I like yeah. the feeling of being like, wow, I made some really great stuff in the last three hours, but it's always a toss up, right? Like there can be times where you just, nothing comes of it. And that's also like unproductive. So mm. I'm asking actually to get like a, also to get some insight into like how do you maintain a healthy relationship with this like drive to constantly be making because I do want to do it but I also feel yeah. like I know that I can't do it all the time because I'll go crazy kind of like but I go crazy not doing it because I'm like I <laughs> so it's like I, what is the answer yeah I don't have the answer like I I don't think I've found the healthy way to do it I what I'm doing right now like it's so weird that you're asking me this question at this very moment because I literally bought like drumsticks yesterday. And I started going to like, I'm trying to have hobbies, even if they're not fully interesting to me. I'm like, maybe I'll find them interesting, but I'm like actively trying to not work because I realized that I got into this, this mental space that you're just describing that mm. I felt this random ass pressure that nobody else is putting on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be productive because I've always been productive. Yeah. And it's obviously this like very, it's it's not just productive. It's like whatever I make should be, I should be able to monetize it in some way or sell it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, like I, ha- I had this list in my notes app of when I'm free, these are all the other things that I can be doing. Um, like I can reach out to these art directors that I've worked with before or um, I can make a t-shirt on Everpress and sell it. Like mm. it's been helpful. Like I think it's mm. it's it's like a enterprising or an entrepreneurial way to be and it's resourceful. I think it makes me a certain kind of professional, uh, yeah. but it but it ruins my life a little bit mm. to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean it's funny because it's it does sound like it's like I was like thinking, oh, like you th- you're so hard on yourself or we all are that like we would be manipulated by capitalism into being capitalists like that (laughs) makes perfect sense like what like why do we question like of course we're gonna think about how to monetize every aspect of our lives because that's exactly what our society wants us to do but it sounds like you were able to and I think I'm similar like I, I enjoyed that for a long time I was like I'm on top of the world like i can make money doing this this and this but then i like got really critical about it and then during covid there was like that whole spring of like you know you're not like you don't have to work as hard as they're trying to make you and like don't let them like 
get rid of your boundaries between work and home mm-hmm. like union like people unionizing and all this stuff and it is really confusing and i think it's interesting to think about like it does seem like there's a bit more cynicism in like the way you caption things or the way you talk about your experiments on instagram mm-hmm. more like recently i feel like i don't know if there's like a cynicism that's brewing that that you're talking about where it's like i need other hobbies or something <laughs> like that like I, I'm curious about that, but it does feel like you're kind of like at a point where you're like, now I'm like messing around for real. Like this is like yeah. not work. This is not for money. This is like for something else. Also, I feel like you have this sort of resistance to being told that something is not good for you when you're oh. clearly finding joy from it. Like yeah. why stop the joy? Um, I'm curious about that motivation sort of like, this is working for you, but people are telling me that it's not working for me. And like, do I have to follow their rules? Yeah, I think I've just become a little like disillusioned with the right way of anything. And that's been over my career, like right out of, it's not exactly connected to what you just asked, but maybe it is like right outside of uh, out of college, I was like, oh, I'm going to work at these places and I'll become a, a good designer. And then maybe I'll like figure out the best formula for an idea. And because I saw so many people who were consistently coming up with good ideas. Mm-hmm. And I worked at all these like different kinds of places, like a, a tech company, an innovation lab, a branding studio, um, an e-commerce fashion company. Um, and then like a design consultancy like IDEO. I worked at all these places and I think what I came back from that ex- this experience that's still going on, which is my professional career, was that everybody thought that they were doing the right thing in the right way. Uh, all the more branding studios would always come up with like the strategy slides after they'd done the design. <laughs> Um, and it was really just like a bunch of slides to bullshit your client um, <laughs> and like convince them of the idea. So it was always an afterthought or like post-rationalization. Mm. And at the more like strategic places, it was, it always felt like they thought that th- this is the big idea. You're zooming mm. out and asking why, and then design can be figured out later. It's like the, mm. it's like the less brainy task that crafts people do. Mm-hmm. And in lots of ways, like maybe I was feeling brainwashed at all these places, but every time I went to these different kinds of places, I felt like they were right uh, mm-hmm. to believe what they believed. And whatever method they used, um, like yielded the right thing also. Like mm. none of these places were shit at their job. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I just came back from it feeling like there's no right way of designing or being or no one thing is more precious or higher than the other. So I'm, yeah, I just feel comfortable enough to um, not adhere to like the one right way of living. Wednesday and the files have been packaged and sent. You have met the deadline and relief pours in with the sunlight 
Looking up from your computer, you notice the window and the world beyond it. Stand up and stretch, raising arms overhead as you inhale and exhale. Stare out the window at the blue sky, free of intentions, free of judgments. Trust your intuition, the source of your inner light. Look out the window again, then look inward. Find contentment, be at peace, knowing tomorrow will be much the same, a new deadline and continued growth. have so many different approaches to work and there's like so many different tools you use and so many different like ways in to the way you work and you've worked at so many different places like you've worked on strategy side you've worked on product side you've worked on like creative innovative side like how do you even conceptualize or like what is a, a process when you're working with so many different tools so many different ways of thinking like that to me would be paralyzing but it sounds like for you it it works itself out somehow and there's like always a kind of like a way in i i'm just curious you know is it is this limitlessness like overwhelming or is it like how do you deal with that idea yeah i like i struggle with that answer like to to respond to when someone asks me what my process is because i don't think there is one really it's i th- like I have all the frameworks that I use at IDEO and all the skills that I picked up at the brand studio, like zooming in and making your busy ears properly, or like the type design studio where I learned about like building character systems. All of these come handy whenever they need to present themselves. It's yeah, it's weird. It's almost like I don't know, how do I how do I explain? It's like when I'm working on a project, I start with like the context, like that stays the same. I just, I need to not be on my computer, not make mood boards. I need to be like learning about the world that this brief belongs in. So that's uh, consistently the same. And then if I need to say, uh, make a strategic decision, I might pull some of the frameworks from, uh, you know, my time at IDU, but if I need to make a lo- sit down and make a logo, because it's very clear that that's what they need, I'll, you know, pick up from like my lettering or whatever, working at an, a type foundry taught me. So it always feels like I don't, I just almost like summon the skill. <laughs> it's, it's a weird, it's a weird uh, verb to use, but summon the skill that's needed at that time. I don't have to wade through all of these uh skill sets and tool sets I have to find the right one. Hmm. I don't I don't know if I answered the question. No, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, well there is like an intuitive quality to the work. Like I, you can see it like even just perusing your work. It's like there's like this sort of intuitive like mastery where like I mean I was gonna I was I don't and James you can cut me off because I've been talking a lot, but like the work is so beautiful. Like even when it's supposed to be ugly or even when it's supposed to be like jarring, like it still is like so intuitively nice looking. And it has this sort of like, like even when it's broken, it looks like it's broken in like the perfect way kind of thing. And, <laughs> and I'm like that you can't like, you can't like 
fake that, right? That's like your that's like probably your real skill is like your intuition. And then all these other things probably just like help you sort of like bring it to life, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. That's that was a very nice thing to say. But I, I also should like put out the disclaimer that what what's visible on my Instagram or website is perhaps like 5% of the work that I do just because mm. I've worked at a lot of these places. Like the stuff that I've done at IDEO may never be put out there, but it's mostly like strategic visual branding, like all the stuff that doesn't look very pretty or may not have to be pretty. Like if I'm doing, I don't know, signages for a hospital, um, I'm not going to 3D render that. <laughs> but I might mock it up to like share with the management or whatever but uh, um, yeah I guess I think intuition makes me think about style like because I struggle with that a little bit like I never saw style in my work but other people saw it but I think it's this like our brains are synthesizers of whatever experience that we've had and it'll come out in this format that you will not be able to dissect or understand. So just because one person with the same shared, with the same experiences um, is putting out that work, the work is bound to feel like one one thing. Recently, yeah. um, Sanjit, my husband and I, we went to an art fair and all the artists were standing in front of their art and it was so interesting to see that they all look like mascots of their art like you could see mm. you could see them so clearly and there was not a single person who didn't look like that art or weren't like wearing the clothes or didn't have like the personality of their art so i guess i have that too in a lot of ways like it'll always <laughs> see them, whether i like it or not well yeah i mean it's so it is interesting though like your like your typographic sensibility your th- like 3d modeling 3d art sensibility they're all very different like they don't like it's like there's like this coherent quality but they don't really all fit together like if you looked at each one in isolation like i'm just looking at your instagram recently it's like this is not the same person but you can see that the sensibility runs Mm -hmm. through it all but it's like the type is like pretty like like berlin industrial like rave 3d render like i don't know this is like i've never heard that but i'm looking at this like look the like the stuff that you did with the typography where they look here and it's like pretty like i don't know like like acid graphic-y or something you know Mm. it doesn't feel like this sort of like whimsical nature that some of your other work has it feels like harsher and more like industrial i think that that's a little bit of the nature of working with ai as well like I always feel like my style is a little lesser in the work that I generate with AI Um, just because there's so much like unpredictability, like you can't control a lot of the stuff. So I couldn't control how the shards were breaking when I said like breaking glass. It could have been like super pretty, like perfectly fallen on the ground with like some bloom and glare and looked angelic, but it, but it looks um, maybe it's just like the stuff that it's trained on, but it's obviously combined with the skeleton and the palette that I picked. 
Yeah. I mean, I want to get into the technical stuff because I'm really <laughs> curious how you actually use typography with AI because I've not been successful at it at all yet in my life. But uh, we can get to that like maybe later. But James, did you want to follow up with anything? I wanted to kind of follow up on the the attitude that you've developed after working at so many places, especially IDO about this like um, notion of not being right anymore. And I think that like, I feel like I'm responding to an observation that like consultancies and agencies no longer have that sort of madman power that they used to have. And I'm wondering where that sort of like suspicion came to be. Like, I'm, I'm curious, like for you, it seems like it's not a cynical thing. It's more of like a realization that there are a lot of great smart approaches to things. So be open to different approaches, but I'm curious how like, if you had any preconceptions of a place like IDEO and sort of how you feel about that kind of approach. Like on one hand, I feel like it's envious because they have like the ear of the C-suite. But on the yeah. other hand, I know designers find it very frustrating because as you were saying, like a lot of the work just doesn't see the light of day and it's not meant to see the light of day. Like I know I found that kind of frustrating working at an agency, um, but I'm curious sort of like what your stance is on consultancies and agencies now. <clears throat> Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like for me to see a change in, in how branding studios operate, I would have to have been at a branding studio for the entire eight, 10 years that I've been working, but I've, you know, I, I went to branding studios at the beginning of my career and I went to consultancies towards the end of my career. Um, and I don't know. I feel like it's such a hard, I have such a hard time talking about IDEO because I still think of it as like this amazing place that I went to, great people. Um, but I I think it, how do I talk about it without like shitting on it? <laughs> um, well. Okay, maybe, so it was very clear that I my definition of design kind of like, had a bit of an earthquake like I, I a lot of people were calling themselves designers but I wouldn't call them a designer and mm. I think the role of a designer is just different there like you're just you're entering the decision making cascade way sooner like um, this I give this example all the time like uh, a company won't come to or a client won't come to IDO asking make this packaging for us they'll ask like do we need this packaging at all and we can take that brief and go go out and do like qualitative interviews and come back and say, maybe you shouldn't even be a packaging company. You should make planes or something. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, it like built this kind of like business acumen. I think I'm being like very generous by saying I have business acumen now. I don't <laughs> But it, yeah, it, it helped me understand what, what decisions need to be made like way at the beginning. Um, so that's the good stuff. <laughs> um, but I think like what comes with everybody calling themselves designers is uh, there are also not many designers. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, I think my, it was also the time where my confidence really reduced because mm. I was working with a lot of like, multidisciplinary people I had a lot to learn from them but they also would often come at me feeling equipped to give me feedback and mm. like I actively seek out feedback all the time and like 
design crit is so important, but it's also equally important to get design crit from like the right people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, of course, you, I can respond to that feedback if it's like objectively wrong, but it felt really exhausting because I'm like, where do I begin with you? Like, this is not, I'm not even responding to feedback anymore. I'm educating and I didn't come into this role um I wasn't told that I need to like explain like gestalt and like optical correction and stuff. So it was just really exhausting. And at some point I would like just give up and let the shitty work, you know, take take over if it needed to, because it was just so tiring to explain why the decisions that they're making are not the right ones. Are you talking about clients or coworkers specifically? Coworkers. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because I've dealt with similar things. Um, but I feel like those people often felt like they were the authority. So I don't, I never felt comfortable. Like you said, educating. And I feel like that's like a nice way of putting it because like I never felt like I, there was no way to have a conversation with, like, mm-hmm. there's no way to have a conversation with somebody when they think that they're telling you the objective truth about something that you know more about than they do yeah or that which, you kind of is, feel like you have a different perspective on than they do yeah which is why i think it helped that idea was made of like nice people mm-hmm. um everyone was like kind and open to listening but i was just exhausted i think what you said right now is maybe the best way i can explain it it felt like my coworkers were my clients mm-hmm. and that can be so exhausting and stressful yeah, my friend said a similar thing at uh, working at Apple. It's sort of like the the sort of double-edged sword of working with very smart, intelligent people. Like they have ideas and they have very strong logic behind those ideas. But sometimes, you know, design meets that sort of emotive quality. Um, yeah. I think this is a good time to ask the question. Um, <laughs> what event or in your career has affected you per, uh, psychologically or emotionally? I had to sit down with my husband and like do a, a separate podcast <laughs> just to like think this through because I feel like my life is just super fuzzy now. Like I don't remember clear events anymore. Um, but one of the ones that I made in the list was actually very connected to the time at IDEO. So again, still fairly, fairly recent. So I think I've never experienced burnout. Like even as someone who works a lot all the time, it might be a cultural thing as well. Like I, it's, it's just me working hard or not working hard. It's never too much work. Um, but at this point it was like, um, um, an idea burnout or it didn't even have to do with design anymore. It was just the, the the things that I had to do to make good work possible. And it was just really exhausting to be like hired for something that I'm not allowed to do. Like I wasn't being mm-hmm. able to do my best work when I felt like I was capable to do it. Um, and there was this one project um, and it was in, in Dubai. Like that was another perk of like working at a consultancy or always traveling. Um, and it might have been a combination of like sitting in a tower under like tube lights, uh, cause everything needs to be air conditioned. So big windows bring in too much sunlight and it'll get warm cause it's so hot there. Um, 
And there was just this project that I've been working on for a while. Also, I was just like one member in a larger team. I love those people. We would like sit and cry together like that, that comfortable with those people. But I was just, I, I reached this point where I was like, okay, this is just really bad work. It's fine. I don't have to put it on my website, but I, I, there's not a single thing on this that I can be proud of. And it was just like, there's so much potential here. It feels like such a waste of energy. And uh, we had to present that work. So we'd like, spent all this time printing out huge boards and Paul Bennett was coming. So Paul Bennett was then the chief creative officer. So very important person. This is a big meeting. And, you know, the other designers, designers, <laughs> uh, court, uh, were presenting the work. And I also was like, yeah, typography, colors, whatever. And I maybe he sensed that, I don't know, maybe I just looked sad. He looked me in the eye and he was like, do you love it? It was such a weird moment. He's like, do you love it? And I don't know what, why I said it. I just said, no. And like um, in um, a group of people and everyone, all my teammates looked at me like, why the fuck did you just say that? That's amazing. And, yeah. And <laughs> And I was like, okay, I won't say anything because if I say some another word, I will cry. Like that's that's how low I'd been feeling. Like don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And and that moment of honesty has been like crazy helpful because uh, then I could actually do my work. Then I I almost like vented to the fucking chief creative officer, and he was so <laughs> welcoming about it. And he's also has he has a a design background like an actual graphic design background, so he could give me feedback that I would want to listen to. Um, and then we did better work, and I got I got like a little more agency, and I think it's also because this mammoth of a person was behind me that people started listening to me a little more, like they wouldn't question my um decisions or even if they did they were like good questions to have because you know Paul and since then he's he's like helped me um like he asked me to speak at this internal conference like he's only helped like other people like me who felt the same way um just be comfortable with sharing their work support now we love hearing from the design community call us at 202-507-9158 please share your story with us after the tone we'll do our best to respond on our podcast please leave a name or alias design role and location thank you for your call
That's great. Like to have a sort of advocate. I mean, like I sense also like in that question itself too was sort of like um, giving you sort of permission to 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 vent or or <clears throat> express your frustrations, but also kind of like kind of like kind of reminding you. This kind of goes back to a question I wanted to ask was like. When I was an undergrad, I graduated and one of my professors was like, just remember to always work for yourself. And like, I remember feeling like kind of confused by that. Like, what does that mean? And that feels like a sort of similar moment that like, you know, you're working for us and you're working for this client and you're doing all this work. But like, do you feel invested in it? Like, do you love it? Like, and for someone of his position to ask that seems sort of like reaffirming, like, ah, this is the reason why we design kind of. Yeah, I like, I think that it was another big moment for me because it had been about a year, a year and a half at IDEO by then. And one of like IDEO's biggest principles is to not make assumptions about any, any project that you're doing. So there's a lot of like qualitative research and by saying, I like this, or I don't like this, or I think this would work, you're essentially making assumptions. So you do kind of have to like, listen to other people but in him asking me that question it was interesting to think about oh I'm allowed to not love it and therefore not make it even if it feels right for the client like yeah there's this there's a thing that the work should never be personal or not have your own style because it should address the brief which I agree Mm -hmm. with also but maybe you're allowed to do both like maybe there's a way for you to do well for the client but also feel proud of the work um mm. so yeah it was nice to... I mean, was there was there like a so you were presenting the work to him like internally and he was like reviewing it and you he asked you do you think he was asking you like it seems like you don't love it or was he asking you like you love it, don't you? Like, was what was like the way he was asking the question? You don't know. It really, it really felt like he honestly wanted to know what I felt, and mm. a part of me wonders if he asked that question, wondering like, "This is shit. Do you really like this?" <laughs> like, mm. that's also possible because he obviously has, you know, a good good visual judgment. So I I don't know where that question came from. He's definitely like if you watch his talks, spend time with him. He's this person that just thinks deeply about what design, what kind of designer you want to become. Like, or like what mm-hmm. what design does to your life. I mean, he'd be amazing mm-hmm. for this podcast, basically. <laughs> um, thinks about... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he thinks about that a lot. So I, yeah, I just, I feel like he is very comfortable asking these personal questions. That honesty is super interesting because also like so much of that type of work, it is about honesty, but it's about like performing a character or something, right? It's like, you're sort of like, I am IDEO in this moment. I'm not me, but like what you're trying to talk about is like, you're there because of you. So you should be able to intuit as you, but you're performing a role of somebody else. Like I struggle with that so much. And I think designers struggle with that a lot because it's like, we're these, we're supposed to be like in the background or kind of like taking on the personas of our clients or if we're in house of our 
companies. But yeah, we are people. <laughs> for sure. Like I, f- I feel the same way about, you know, this distance be- between like client and you, but also the distance between the work and you, because like that moment definitely defined how, like even right now I'm, I keep trying to like be more honest and I, I try to write a lot because I remember the first few times I was interviewed by magazines, I would Google the question and see what other people are saying. Like, what's a way to sound smart? Um, mm. How can I sound super intellectual and like I have something very, very important to say about this question? And even like right now, I could be trying to, you know, what's an, how can I have like a very intellectually stimulating conversation with Drew and James? But it's... I feel like we're conditioned to sound like these smart, insightful designers or that we should be, that it's taken me a lot of like unlearning to actually just try and be honest. So even when I'm like responding to an interview uh, now or like a written interview, I record myself talking or like I'm talking to my husband and he's asking me the questions or my sister's asking me those questions because you're just like more honest when you're Hmm. speaking comfortably. Like even the way that we were taught English in school and the way that we write sounds so far away from the way that we speak and think. Um, Yeah. Is there, this is like a, maybe a slight tangent, but like, is there a spirituality or like a mindfulness practice that you have or like think of in relation to this stuff? Because it does seem like, I mean, talking to you, you get, I get a sense that like, there's a there's a there's a comfort and confidence in like i know what i'm doing or i i trust that i'm going to be able to figure this out on my own but there also is like a lack of there's like a sort of um like a bit of anxiety i can sense in like Mm -hmm. in how to like talk about this this stuff because it kind of probably is like a bit there, that's where I'm thinking like maybe there's some spirituality involved because it's it feels like kind of mystical to you or something like it's like you you know that you have all these tools and these ways of working and but you kind of are like you're like what's it resigning yourself to them it's like you're mm-hmm. like kind of like letting things happen on their own and like the honesty aspect is is sort of like a faith exercise too it's like I have faith enough in myself that like if I'm honest and authentic like it'll work itself out and I, I'm asking that because that's been like a big struggle in my life is like the mask you put on and like the professional way you present yourself versus like the honesty and like what is honesty, right? It's like if you're in a bad mood that day is like, is it dishonest to be like happy or like if you're feeling low, like should like I struggle with that constantly. So I'm curious, like big question, but like, is there any spiritual like underpinning or how do you view that stuff? And then like the faith in yourself like where does it come from i guess yeah i I, i'm not a very spiritual person um i mean i'm surrounded by lots of spiritual people um but i think i'm more in like you know the kid that would read like self-help books or do psychology tests like that's more of my space i feel um and like it doesn't come from trying to know myself or anything. I I feel like I know myself pretty well. 
uh, it's really just from like trying to be thoughtful and trying to make sure that I fully understand what's going on around me. And I think right out of college, I felt like super self-confident and I was pretty inflated. And then in the middle of my career, I felt like the opposite. This like self-loathing. I'm a shitty designer. They hate me. Why did they hire me? And now I'm getting somewhere in the middle. It's almost like I like plucked an acoustic string and it's going back and forth, but it's getting a little still where, I, where I'm slowly wavering more in this like self-aware and self-assured space. Um, so I know when I'm not good at something, I'm like very, very self-conscious about it. And I know that I'm actually not a type designer, even if I went to a type foundry and interned that, that does not make me a type designer. I, I know that I can draw good base, good enough bases. Like I, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. Oops. I'm I'm curious, kind of on the note of you feeling like you know yourself, because I'm curious also. Like, it feels like you've sort of sculpted a unique identity as a designer and a creator, and I'm kind of curious how you've sort of gone about sort of knowing yourself creatively but also sort of like also being aware of your position as like a woman in design, as a woman of color in design. And in some sense, like, you know, you being in New York too is sort of like an immigrant status, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I'm curious, like how that all plays into your identity as a, as, a, as a person and a creative out in the world. Yeah, I think those things were more dialed up when I was in my self-loathing phase because it was very clear that because I was an Indian working in Munich, the, the British business dude was, he wouldn't treat me the same way or like ask me two times about the holidays that I'm asking, but let the other people get as many holidays as they want. It also comes from like being a, a woman, uh, not being from this country and not being crazy vocal like I'm talking a lot right now but in a room where I don't feel like um, I have something of value to say I won't say anything like I'll keep quiet if I don't need to be saying anything and this at least all these organizations with a lot of hierarchy it's been very clear that like I can see the people that make it and get the promotions faster are the ones that are good at making their presence felt and saying a lot, but meaning very little. And yeah, that's that's interesting you said that. I had this conversation with my wife yesterday. She was uh, complaining about her manager scheduling and she sort of like, she was saying that like she feels frustrated because she knows her manager will schedule her for inconvenient times because my wife won't complain and it kind of like pushed her over the edge and i'm like you know i think like there's a certain tendency for uh people of color and you know people who are a little bit more disenfranchised in a hierarchy to feel less incentivized or you know to speak up and feel like culturally we have to do that or not but it's interesting to also like note that I think in a Western corporate culture, the idea of being vocal is being 
uh, strong. It's sort of like yeah. a, a, a strength. Whereas I think like in Korean corporate cultures, like it's not like people aren't vocal, but they're vocal in sort of back channels. And it's mm. like those back channels that kind of politically game the system. But yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, um, but, but this experience that I've had of like, mm seeing other people succeed because they're the louder ones in the room it's i if i look back i would think that okay maybe that's what i need to do but it's almost like it's almost helped me develop a principle that i will never be that person mm. and like these events have not just been like insights that i've collected but insights i've collected about the kind of person i want to make sure i do not turn into um you know what? I think I strayed very far from your original question. No, I, oh, no, no, this is great. This is like where this is our sweet spot. <laughs> I was super curious about this self-loathing period because oh. that <laughs> I feel like I may be at the tail end of that myself. Like, hopefully I'm like kind of coming out of that, but that's kind of where I've been for the last few years as well. Um, and I'm just curious, like, what do you think led to it? how would you recommend like do you think it was a helpful period to go through and also like like with the learnings that you took from it do you feel like yeah i don't know how to end that question but yeah just i'm just curious about it yeah i, I get what you mean i feel like because i started off feeling like i was the shit which most people that come out of college feel about themselves if I hadn't had that moment to pull me down, I think I would have continued being a not a good designer. Um, I think the self-loathing period makes you work harder. Not not everybody does that, but I, th I think it helps you like feel like you need to learn some more stuff. And I've been feeling this way about um, like self-love when people talk about that or just being this Gen Z term like delulu, <laughs> like be happy in your delusion. I think that's that might be that will make you feel happier and make your life nice, but it may not help you improve as a designer if you think you're amazing already. So I think it helped me get a little a lot better. And the only thing that's helped me like not oscillate that much anymore. I mean, I still look at stuff and I'm like I suck I do that all the time but I I oscillate way lesser only because of time like it's I've I've done this for too long and it's always worked out for 200 projects why should like 201 not work out and it's like I look back at at whatever's happened and because I've moved so many times they're like these things that I just know now. Like I know that when I'm making a deck, the my best idea should come first and my second best idea should come last. Like that's when I have max success and like getting the thing I, that, that I want get chosen by the client. Or I know that the first six months of wherever I move, I'll feel like an outsider. It's fine. I'll have a shitty time. But because I know that, it makes it like I let the shitty time happen because I know it it'll get okay so it's really just um that i've been doing this for so long that i've figured out my own patterns and what works for me 
Um, so yeah, I think it's depending. Can you give us a bit of insight into like when, I think you may have already kind of like hinted at it, but it was, is it like the IDEO period or is it before that? It's, it was before that. Like, I think as soon as I was surrounded by, um, oh, I was in big companies. That's when I started feeling like, mm. or, or I was in companies where there was a lot of hierarchy and everybody had to, wanted to move up the ladder. That's when I felt like this is, yeah, this is not good. And what do you think brought you out of that? Because you're still working at a big company, right? But it's like a small yeah. part of a big company, I guess. Yeah, but it still functions like a big company. I I feel like I'm just surrounded by people who are actually really good. And there are very few people. Like somehow the creative lab, everybody, like even though there's hierarchy, of course, but there's nobody who doesn't practice. And I think that's what I've I realize is the right kind of people that I want to surround myself with. Like that's a, that's a healthy kind of variation because when people are at leadership level and they're still sitting down and making posters, I, I feel like they're a part of my world and I don't have to explain my visual decisions all the time. So mm. I, yeah, yeah, I feel like this really team is a little point. people. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think Paul I... was also that way. Like I'm realizing this now, like I think, why Paul was such a big part of my ideal journey and like the best way because he could sit down and you know have was practicing in a lot of ways yeah I mean I am curious with like the corporate sort of very professional quality of the work that you're probably doing now like how do you balance like you know there's got to be the brief and there's got to be like the task and there's got to be the timeline and all these things that are very very not intuitive really mm. creative in some sense and like are so different in the way of thinking to like the actual process of making stuff and i and i feel like i'm i feel like how you felt at ideo is how i felt in an agency where it's like i'm not making anything right now and the mm. stuff that i am making is just like i don't like it at all and the stuff that i am making that i like nobody has any interest in and it's just like demoralizing but then you learn these other administrative tools. Yeah. But they're not, they don't like unlock the whole thing. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I think it's just the nature of the team that I'm working in right now. And I've, I'm realizing this, um, that I've like stopped doing a lot of the personal work that I used to do. Like it's the, the quantity of it has reduced. It's also because the work at the creative lab feels like this I get the same kind of stimulation that I got from my personal work the same kind of that's there's a lot of like openness to discovery because there isn't a brief really I can sit down make a deck and be like I have this idea I want to do something as long as it's in the world of Google good so the so. deck the, the formalization of the idea though is very important to the success of the project and that's a skill that I think a lot of people don't recognize early enough and yeah. it's not emphasized early enough. Yeah, it. I think writing helped me with that. Like it's less the, all the finding the right stakeholder and all the logistical stuff that comes with, with working in a corporate situation, but being more of a strategic communicator or like being very careful about what you say and how you say it 
in these decks <laughs> uh, or like storytelling, like what do you put first? How do you lead up to the idea so that it makes sense? I think just because I like write a little more or when I'm responding to interviews, I think more honestly about why or how I really feel. I kind of tend to put this stuff in the deck as well. Because I'm actually, if I'm coming up with an idea, I'm honestly excited about it. I don't need to pretend and make up stories in the deck. Uh, I just need to structure it in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we like to do and kind of like in closing is to come up with a mantra. But this conversation has sprawled in so many directions. I'm I'm struggling to come up with a mantra. But maybe there's something that you tell yourself occasionally you know maybe it's like uh i need to find a hobby (laughs) (laughs) um let's see i mean i usually say there's no right way Hmm. but i felt that way so long ago that i don't need to remind myself anymore about that Mm um i think for me it's more like if you if you if if you manage to do something well all this time. Maybe I'm not saying it. <laughs> let, me, let me phrase it again. But I think I want to say that if you've managed to do it right 200 times, it should work out on the 201st try. Mm. Does that sound like a mantra? I don't know. Wait, if it works, you know it works. Yeah, I think it's much better than the Lady Gaga, the famous Lady Gaga <laughs> oh, quote, <laughs> which reminds me of. Now you ruined it for me. <laughs> no, yours is much better, but I, for some reason, that came to mind. No, I'm with you. Now I can't like take it out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for thank you so much coming for coming on. Like, Thank yeah, you. Thank you for having me. I made yeah. all these notes and I got yeah. through all of them just because you guys were like such good podcasters, like flowing with the questions. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. Graphic Support Group is created by James Che and Drew Litowitz. The Meditations and Hotline are voiced by Elizabeth Leeper. Editing by James and Drew. Cover art and graphics by Drew Litowitz. Our theme music is by Marble Rye. Thank you for your support and listenership. Please stay tuned for new episodes and updates through our Substack. Follow us on social media at graphic underscore support underscore group on Instagram, and email us at help at graphicsupportgroup.com. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps in spreading the word about this podcast and allows us to continue making a space for open conversations in the design world.